Book Two, Chapter Twelve of The Crossing by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve The Ills. I stood staring at the portrait, I say with a kind of fascination that astonished me, seeing that it had come to me in such a way. It was no French face of my imagination, and as I looked it seemed to me that I knew Mademoiselle Hélène de St. Gré. And yet I smile as I write this, realizing full well that my strange and foreign surroundings and my unforeseen adventure had much to do with my state of mind. The lady in the miniature might have been eighteen or thirty-five. Her features were of the clearest cut the nose the least trifle aquiline and by a blurred outline the painter had given to the black hair piled high upon the head a suggestion of waviness the eyebrows were straight the brown eyes looked at the world with an almost scornful sense of humour and i marked that there was determination in the chin here was a face that could be infinitely haughty or infinitely tender a mouth of witty nay perhaps cutting repartee of brevity and force a lady who spoke quickly moved quickly or reposed absolutely a person who commanded by nature and yet dare i venture the thought was capable of a supreme surrender i was aroused by this odd reverie by footsteps on the gallery and nick burst into the room without pausing to look about him he flung himself lengthwise on the bed on top of the mosquito bar a thousand curses on such a place he cried it's full of rat holes and rabbit warrens did you catch your man i asked innocently catch him said nick with a little excusable profanity he went in at one end of such a warren and came out at another I waited for him in two streets until an officious person chanced along and threatened to take me before the Alcalde. What the devil is that you've got in your hand, Davy? he demanded, raising his head. A miniature that took my fancy and which I bought. He rose from the bed, yawned, and, taking it in his hand, held it to the light. I watched him curiously. Lord, he said it's such a passion as i might have expected of you davy there was nothing said about passion i answered hotly then why the deuce did you buy it he said with some pertinence this staggered me a man may fancy a thing without indulging in a passion i suppose i replied nick held the picture at arm's length in the palm of his hand and regarded it critically faith he said you may thank heaven it's only a picture if such one ever got hold of you, Davy, she would general you even as you general me. Egad, he added with a laugh, there would be no more walking in the streets at night in search of adventure for you. Consider carefully the masterful features of that lady, and thank God you haven't got her. I was inclined to be angry, but ended by laughing. There'll be no rivalry between us, at least, I said rivalry exclaimed nick heaven forbid that i should aspire to such abject slavery when i marry it will be to command all the more honor in such a conquest i suggested davy said he i have long been looking for some such flaw in your insuperable wisdom but i vow i can keep my eyes open no longer 
Benji? A smothered response came from the other side of the wall, and Benji duly appeared in the doorway, blinking at the candlelight to put his master to bed. We slept that night with no bed covering save the mosquito bar, as was the custom in New Orleans. Indeed, the heat was most oppressive, but we had become to some extent inured to it on the boat, and we were both in such sound health that our slumbers were not disturbed. Early in the morning, however, I was awakened by a negro song from the courtyard, and I lay pleasantly for some minutes listening to the early sounds, breathing in the aroma of coffee which mingled with the odor of the flowers of the court, until Zoe herself appeared in the doorway, holding a cup in her hand. I arose, and taking the miniature from the table, gazed at it in the yellow morning light, and then, having dressed myself, I put it carefully in my pocket, and sat down at my portfolio to compose a letter to Polly Ann, knowing that a description of what I had seen in New Orleans would amuse her. This done, I went out into the gallery, where Madame was already seated at her knitting, in the shade of the great tree that stood in the corner of the court, and spread its branches over the eaves. She arose and curtsied with a questioning smile. Madame, I asked, is it too early to present myself to Monsieur de St. Gris? Pardieu, no, Monsieur. We are early risers in the South, for we have our siesta. You are going to return the portrait, Monsieur? I nodded. God bless you for the deed, said she. Tenez, Monsieur, she added, stepping closer to me. You will tell his father that you bought it from Monsieur Auguste? I saw that she had a soft spot in her heart for the rogue. I will make no promises, madame, I answered. She looked at me timidly, appealingly, but I bowed and departed. The sun was riding up into the sky, the walls already glowing with his heat, and a midsummer languor seemed to pervade the streets as I walked along. The shadows now were sharply defined. The checkered foliage of the trees was flung in black against the yellow-white wall of the house with the lions and the green latticed gallery which we had watched the night before seemed silent and deserted i knocked at the gate and presently a bright turbaned guardian opened it was monsieur de st gris at home the guardian looked me over and evidently finding me respectable replied with many protestations of sorrow that he was not that he had gone with mademoiselle very early that morning to his country place at les Isles. This information I extracted with difficulty, for I was not by any means versed in the negro patois. As I walked back to Madame Beauvais, I made up my mind that there was but one thing to do, to go at once to Monsieur de St. Gris's plantation. Finding Madame still waiting in the gallery, I asked her to direct me thither. You have but to follow the road that runs southward along the levee, and some three leagues will bring you to it, monsieur. You will inquire from Monsieur de St. Gris. Can you direct me to Mr. Daniel Clark's? I asked. The American merchant and banker, the friend and associate of the great General Wilkinson, whom you sent down to us last year? Certainly, monsieur. He will no doubt give you better advice than I on this matter. I found Mr. Clark in his counting-room. 
and I had not talked with him five minutes before I began to suspect that if a treasonable understanding existed between Wilkinson and the Spanish government, Mr. Clark was innocent of it. He being the only prominent American in the place, it was natural that Wilkinson should have formed with him a business arrangement to care for the cargoes he sent down. Indeed, after we had sat for some time chatting together, Mr. Clark himself began to make guarded inquiries on this very subject. Did I know Wilkinson? How was his enterprise of selling Kentucky products regarded at home? But I do not intend to burden this story with accounts of a matter which, though it has never been wholly clear, has been long since fairly settled in the public mind. Mr. Clark was most amiable, accepted my statement that I was traveling for pleasure, and honored Monsieur Chateau's bon, for my purchase of the miniature had deprived me of nearly all my ready money, and said that Mr. Temple and I would need horses to get to Les Elles. And unless you propose going back to Kentucky by a keelboat, or round by sea to Philadelphia or New York, and cross the mountains, he said, you will need good horses for your journey through Natchez and the Cumberland country. There is a consignment of Spanish horses from the westward just arrived in town, he added, and I shall be pleased to go with you to the place where they are sold. I shall not presume to advise a Kentuckian on such a purchase. The horses were crowded together under a dirty shed near the levee and the vessel from which they had been landed rode at anchor in the river. They were the scrawny, tough ponies of the plains, reasonably cheap, and it took no great discernment on my part to choose three of the strongest and most intelligent-looking. We went next to a saddler's, where I selected three saddles and bridles of Spanish workmanship and Mr. Clark agreed to have two of his servants meet us with the horses before Madame Beauvais within the hour. He begged that we would dine with him when we returned from Les Elles. "'You will not find an island, Mr. Ritchie,' he said. "'Sangree's plantation is a huge block of land between the river and a cypress swamp behind. Sangree is a man with a wonderful quality of mind, who might, like his ancestors, have made his mark if necessity had probed him or opportunity offered. He never forgave the Spanish government for the murder of his father, nor do I blame him. He has his troubles. His son is an incurable rake and degenerate, as you may have heard. I went back to Madame Beauvais to find Nick emerging from his toilette. "'What deviltry have you been up to, Davy?' he demanded. "'I've been to the House of the Lions to see your divinity,' I answered. "'And in a very little while horses will be here to carry us to her.' "'What do you mean?' he asked, grasping me by both shoulders. "'I mean that we're going to her father's plantation, some way down the river.' "'On my honor, Davy, I did not suspect you of so much enterprise,' he cried." and her husband does not exist i replied perhaps after all i might be able to give you instruction in the conduct of an adventure the man you chased with such futility was her brother and he stole from her the miniature of which i am now the fortunate possessor he stared at me for a moment in rueful amazement and her name he demanded antoinette 
de saint gri i answered our letter is to her father he made me a rueful bow i fear i have undervalued you mr ritchie he said you have no peer i am unworthy to accompany you and furthermore it would be useless and why useless i inquired laughing you have doubtless seen the lady and she is yours said he you forget that i am in love with a miniature i said in half an hour we were packed and ready the horses had arrived we bade good-bye to madame beauvais and rode down the miry road until we reached the road behind the levee turning southward we soon left behind the shaded esplanade and the city's roofs below us and came to the first of the plantation houses set back amidst the dark foliage no tremor shook the fringe of moss that hung from the heavy boughs so still was the day and an indefinable milky haze stretched between us and the cloudless sky above the sun's rays pierced it and gathered fire the mighty river beside us rolled listless and sullen flinging back the heat defiantly and on our left was a tropical forest in all its bewildering luxuriance the live oak the hackberry the myrtle the spanish bayonet in bristling groups and the shaded places gave out a scented moisture like an orangery anon we passed fields of corn and cotton swamps of rice stretches of poverty-stricken indigo plants gnawed to the stem by the pest our ponies ambled on unmindful but nick vowed that no woman under heaven would induce him to undertake such a journey again some three miles out of the city we descried two figures on horseback coming towards us and quickly perceived that one was a gentleman the other his black servant they were riding at a more rapid pace than the day warranted but the gentleman reined in his sweating horse as he drew near to us eyed us with curiosity tempered by courtesy bowed gravely and put his horse to a canter again whew said nick twisting in his saddle i thought that all creoles were lazy we have met the exception perhaps i answered did you take in that man his looks were a little remarkable come to think of it answered nick settling down into his saddle again indeed the man's face had struck me so forcibly that i was surprised out of an inquiry which i had meant to make of him namely how far we were from the sangri plantation we pursued our way slowly from time to time catching a glimpse of a dwelling almost hid in the distant foliage until at length we came to a place a little more pretentious than those which we had seen from the road a graceful flight of wooden steps climbed the levee and descended on the far side to a boat landing and a straight vista cut through the grove lined by wild orange trees disclosed the white pillars and galleries of a far-away plantation house the grassy path leading through the vista was trimly kept and on either side of it in the moist green shade of the great trees flowers bloomed in a profusion of startling colors in splotches of scarlet and white and royal purple nick slipped from his horse 
behold the mansion of mademoiselle de saint gré said he waving his hand up the vista how do you know i asked i am told by a part of me that never lies davy he answered laying his hand upon his heart and besides he added i should dislike devilishly to go too far on such a day and have to come back again we will rest here i said laughing and send in benjy to find out davy he answered with withering contempt you have no more romance in you than a turnip we will go ourselves and see what befalls very well then i answered falling in with this humor we will go ourselves he brushed his face with his handkerchief gave himself a pull here and a pat there and led the way down the alley but we had not gone far before he turned into a path that entered the grove on the right and to this likewise i made no protest we soon found ourselves in a heavenly spot sheltered from the sun's rays by a dense verdure and no one who has not visited these southern country places can know the teeming fragrance there one shrub how well i recall it was like unto the perfume of all the flowers and all the fruits the very essence of the delicious languor of the place that made our steps to falter a bird shot a bright flame of color through the checkered light ahead of us suddenly a sound brought us to a halt and we stood in a tense and wondering silence the words of a song sung carelessly in a clear girlish voice came to us from beyond Se vendras bien vi mais grand-père de me trompe, mais grand-père de me trompe, et sans ses marinettes, mais l'ouron, mais l'arrête, et sans ses malhonnettes, et sans ses malhonnettes, mon l'ouron, mon We have come to the very zenith of opportunity, I whispered. Hush, he said jene va pa d'una voca jene va pa d'una voca ca ils amintro by ducas ca ils amintro by ducas ils trompe les fillets malure malurette ils trompe les fillets maluron malure eliminating mr ritchie i believe said nick turning on me with a grimace but hark again Je voudras bien du officier, se voudras bien du officier, je marcherai et précaire, je marcherai et précaire, de ma jolie chambrette, ma louron, ma de ma jolie chambrette, ma louron, ma The song ceased with a sound that was half laughter, half sigh, before I realized what he was doing. Nick, instead of retracing his steps towards the house, started forward the path led through a dense thicket which became a casino hedge and suddenly i found myself peering over his shoulder into a little garden bewildering in colour in the centre of the garden a great live oak spread its sheltering branches and around the gnarled trunk was a seat and on the seat her sewing fallen into her lap her lips parted her eyes staring wide sat the young lady whom we had seen on the levee the evening before and nick was making a bow in his grandest manner hélas mademoiselle he said 
je ne suis pas officier mais ou pas enringé tant si la tant à la sans doute my breath was taken away by this unheard-of audacity and i braced myself against screams flight and other feminine demonstrations of terror the young lady did nothing of the kind she turned her back to us leaned against the tree and to my astonishment i saw her slim shoulders shaken with laughter at length very slowly she looked around and in her face struggled curiosity and fear and merriment nick made another bow worthy of versailles and she gave a frightened little laugh you are english messieurs yes she ventured we were once cried nick but we have changed mademoiselle Equadon, relapsing into her own language americans said he allow me to introduce to you the honorable david ritchie whom you rejected a few moments ago whom i rejected she exclaimed alas said nick with a commiserating glance at me he has the misfortune to be a lawyer mademoiselle shot at me the swiftest and shyest of glances and turned to us once more her quivering shoulders there was a brief silence mademoiselle said nick taking a step on the garden path monsieur she answered without so much as looking around what now would you take this gentleman to be he asked with an insistence not to be denied again she was shaken with laughter and suddenly to my surprise she turned and looked full at me in english monsieur you call it a gallant my face fairly tingled and i heard nick laughing with unseemly merriment ah mademoiselle he cried you are a judge of character and you have read him perfectly then i must leave you monsieur she answered with her eyes in her lap but she made no move to go you need have no fear of mr ritchie mademoiselle answered nick instantly i am here to protect you against his gallantry this time nick received the glance and quailed before it and who par exemple is to protect me against you monsieur she asked in the lowest of voices you forget that i too am unprotected and vulnerable mademoiselle he answered her face was hidden again but not for long how did you come she demanded presently on air he answered for we saw you in new orleans yesterday and why need you ask mademoiselle said the rogue and then with more effrontery than ever he began to sing je viendras bien me marier je viendras bien me marier mais j'ai grand-père de me tromper she rose her sewing falling to the ground and took a few startled steps towards us monsieur you will be heard she cried and put out of the garden of eden said nick i must leave you she said with the quaintest of english pronunciation yet she stood irresolute in the garden path a picture against the dark green leaves and the flowers her age might have been seventeen her gown was of some soft and light material printed in buds of delicate color her slim arms bare above the elbow she had the ivory complexion of the province more delicate than i had yet seen and beyond that i shall not attempt to describe her 
save to add that she was such a strange mixture of innocence and ingenuousness and coquetry as i had not yet imagined presently her gaze was fixed seriously on me do you think it very wrong monsieur she asked i was more than taken aback by this tribute oh cried nick the arbiter of etiquette since i am here mademoiselle i answered with anything but readiness i am not a proper judge her next question staggered me you are well born she asked mr ritchie's grandfather was a scottish earl said nick immediately a piece of news that startled me into protest it is true davy though you may not know it he added and you monsieur she said to nick i am his cousin is it not honor enough said he yet you do not resemble one another mr ritchie has all the good looks in the family said nick oh cried the young lady and this time she gave us her profile come mademoiselle said nick since the fates have cast the die let us all sit down in the shade the place was made for us monsieur she cried giving back i have never in my life been alone with gentlemen but mr ritchie is a duenna to satisfy the most exacting said nick when you know him better you will believe me she laughed softly and glanced at me by this time we were all three under the branches monsieur do you not understand the french customs mon dieu if the sister lorette could see me now but she's safe in the convent said nick are they going to put glass on the walls and why asked mademoiselle innocently because said nick because a very bad man has come to new orleans one who is given to climbing walls you yes but when i found that a certain damsel had left the convent i was no longer anxious to climb them and how did you know that i had left it i was at a loss to know whether this were coquetry or innocence because i saw you on the levee said nick you saw me on the levee she repeated giving back and i had a great fear the rogue persisted a fear of what a fear that you were married he said with a boldness that made me blush as for mademoiselle a color that vied with the june roses charged through her cheeks she stooped to pick up her sewing but nick was before her and why did you think me married she asked in a voice so low that we scarcely heard faith said nick because you seem to be quarrelling with a man she turned to him with an irresistible seriousness and is that your idea of marriage monsieur this time it was i who laughed for he had been hit very fairly mademoiselle said he i did not for a moment think it could have been a love match mademoiselle turned away and laughed you are the very strangest man i have ever seen she said shall i give you my notion of a love match mademoiselle said nick i should think you might be well versed in the subject monsieur she answered speaking to the tree but here is scarcely the time and place she wound up her sewing and faced him i must really leave you she said he took a step towards her and stood looking down into her face her eyes dropped and am i never to see you again he asked 
monsieur she cried softly i do not know who you are she made a curtsy took a few steps in the opposite path and turned that depends upon your ingenuity she added you seem to have no lack of it monsieur nick was transported you must not go he cried must not how dare you speak to me thus monsieur then she tempered it there is a lady here whom i love and who is ill i must not be long from her bedside she is very ill said nick probably for want of something better she is not really ill monsieur but depressed is that not the word she is a very dear friend and she has had trouble so much monsieur and my mother brought her here we love her as one of the family this was certainly ingenuous and it was plain that the girl gave us this story through a certain nervousness for she twisted her sewing in her fingers as she spoke mademoiselle said nick i would not keep you from such an errand of mercy she gave him a grateful look more dangerous than any which had gone before and besides he went on we have come to stay a while with you mr ritchie and myself you have come to stay a while she said i thought at time that the farce were ended we have come with letters to your father monsieur de st gré mademoiselle i said and i should like very much to see him if he is at leisure mademoiselle stared at me in unfeigned astonishment but did you not meet him monsieur she demanded he left an hour ago for new orleans you must have met a gentleman riding very fast it was my turn to be astonished but that was not your father i exclaimed et pourquoi non she said is not your father the stout gentleman whom i saw with you on the levee last evening i asked she laughed you have been observing monsieur she said that was my uncle monsieur de beaujour you saw me quarrelling with my brother auguste she went on a little excitedly and i am very much ashamed of it i was so angry my cousin mademoiselle helene de st gre has just sent me from france such a beautiful miniature and auguste fell in love with it fell in love with it i exclaimed involuntarily you should see it monsieur and i think you also would fall in love with it i have not a doubt of it said nick mademoiselle made the faintest of moves auguste is very wild as you say she continued addressing me he is a great care to my father he wishes louisiane to become french once more as we all do but i should not say this monsieur she added in a startled tone you will not tell no i know you will not we do not like the spaniards they killed my grandfather when they came to take the province and once the governor-general miro sent for my father and declared he would put auguste in prison if he did not behave himself but i have forgotten the miniature when auguste saw that he fell in love with it and now he wishes to go to france and obtain a commission through our cousin the marquis de st gris and marry mademoiselle helene a comprehensive program indeed said nick my father has gone back to new orleans she said to get the miniature from auguste he took it from me monsieur she raised her head a little proudly if my brother had asked it i might have given it to him though i treasured it but auguste is so impulsive 
my uncle told my father who is very angry he will punish auguste severely and and i do not like to have him punished oh i wish i had the miniature your wish is granted mademoiselle i answered drawing the case from my pocket and handing it to her she took it staring at me with eyes wide with wonder and then she opened it mechanically monsieur she said with great dignity do you mind telling me where you obtained this i found it mademoiselle and as i spoke i felt nick's fingers on my arm you found it where how monsieur at madame beauvais the house where we stayed oh she said with a sigh of relief he must have dropped it it is there where he meets his associates where they talk of the french louisiane again i felt nick pinching me and i gave a sigh of relief mademoiselle was about to continue but i interrupted her how long will your father be in new orleans mademoiselle i asked until he finds auguste she answered it may be days but he will stay for he is very angry but will you not come into the house messieurs and be presented to my mother she asked i have been very inhospitable she added with a glance at nick we followed her through winding paths bordered by shrubs and flowers and presently came to a low house surrounded by a wide cool gallery and shaded by spreading trees behind it were clustered the kitchens and quarters of the house servants mademoiselle picking up her dress ran up the steps ahead of us and turned to the left in the hall into a darkened parlor the floor was bare save for a few mats and in the corner was a massive escritoire of mahogany with carved feet and there were tables and chairs of a like pattern it was a room of more distinction than i had seen since i had been in charlestown and reflected the solidity of its owners if you will be so kind as to wait here messieurs said mademoiselle i will call my mother and she left us i sat down rather uncomfortably but nick took a stand and stood staring down at me with folded arms how i have undervalued you davy he said i'm not proud of it i answered shortly what the deuce is to do now he asked i cannot linger here i answered i have business with monsieur de st gre and i must go back to new orleans at once then i will wait for you said nick davy i have met my fate i laughed in spite of myself it seems to me that i have heard that remark before i answered he had not time to protest for we heard footsteps in the hall and mademoiselle entered leading an older lady by the hand in the light of the doorway i saw that she was thin and small and yellow but her features had a regularity and her mien a dignity which made her impressing which would have convinced a stranger that she was a person of birth and breeding her hair tinged with gray was crowned by a lace cap madame i said bowing and coming forward i am david ritchie from kentucky and this is my cousin mr temple of charlestown monsieur gratiot and colonel chateau of st louis have been kind enough to give us letters to monsieur de st gris and i handed her one of the letters which i had ready 
you are very welcome messieurs she answered with the same delightful accent which her daughter had used and you are especially welcome from such a source the friends of colonel chateau and monsieur gratiot are our friends you will remain with us i hope messieurs she continued monsieur de st gre will return in a few days at best by your leave madame i will go to new orleans at once and try to find monsieur i said for i have business with him you will return with him i hope said madame i bowed and mr temple will remain she asked with a questioning look at nick with the greatest pleasure in the world madame he answered and there was no mistaking his sincerity as he spoke mademoiselle turned her back on him i would not wait for dinner but pausing only for a sip of cool madeira and some other refreshment i made my farewells to the ladies as i started out of the door to find benjy who had been waiting for more than an hour mademoiselle gave me a neatly folded note you will be so kind as to present that to my father monsieur she said End of chapter twelve